0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. In that very hour, some Pharisees came to him and said, Leave and go away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I am going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day, Because it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is defiantly determined to win our salvation. Our text this morning forces us to confront two of the most powerful, two of the most volatile, two of the most polarizing institutions In the world, politics and religion, Herod and the Pharisees. Both Bible history and human history tell you that you should be alarmed. You should be on the lookout whenever these two join forces. In the book of Revelation, it's spelled out very clearly the the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth represent political forces and, and religious forces. And when you hand those those two institutions over to the devil and let him take control of them, well, then you have the perfect recipe for the Antichrist. That is anything that would replace Jesus as the Lord of your life, the, the King in your heart. We've seen that all throughout history, haven't we? When, whenever religion and politics get together and join forces, nothing good happens. In The first century Roman Empire, the, the cult of Of empire worship led to bloodshed and persecution for Christians. You can maybe think of Hitler's Third Reich because there were certainly religious elements to to his bloodshed and and led to the Holocaust. You can think of many other instances in history I'm sure. Um, Pol Pot, um, Stalin, I mean they, they all had religious and political elements. Today I think we might, if you come to our Bible study after church, cultural Marxism is is a a linking of politics, the power of politics and the authority of religion. And, And if those proponents of cultural Marxism have their way, there will be violence and there will be bloodshed and nothing good will happen. It's always important to be alert and aware and wary whenever these two institutions, religious religion and politics, get together. So these are the forces that Jesus is confronting today, and, and he doesn't back down. He goes toe-to-toe with this two-headed monster. So we're introduced to them by the Pharisees coming to Jesus, pretending to be concerned about his welfare. They tell him, listen, Herods, put a bounty on your head. You've got to get out of here. You don't want to die, do you? Now, you know what the irony of this warning is, right? The Pharisees themselves had been planning Jesus' death for over a year. They just hadn't been able to agree on a time or a place or, or a manner in which to do it. Jesus doesn't seem concerned, does he? He says, go tell that fox, look, I'm going to drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. Jesus doesn't back down an inch. He's not afraid of Herod's threats. He's not worried at all. Why not? Because he's the Lord. He's the one who decides how and when he will lay down his life. And he's already proved it, hasn't he? When, when threats have been made to his life before, he's proven that he has power over them. When he was in his hometown of Nazareth, and they didn't like what he was saying, that he was the anointed one, the Messiah, and they tried to push him off a cliff, he walked away unscathed. Another time when... When he told the Jews, he identified himself as Yahweh from the Old Testament. He said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to stone him. He was fine. He walked away. Jesus is the one who has control over life and death, especially his own life and death. He will choose the time in which to give up his life. and, And no threats from some puppet king are going to scare him off of the road that he's on. His defiant determination to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Next, he turns to the Pharisees and he sends a shot across their bow. He says, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the next day because it cannot be that a prophet would be killed outside of Jerusalem. That was a real shot at the Pharisees, that Jesus had come to suffer and to die, and he would do it right in their own hometown, in in God's chosen city, the city of David, the city that was so notorious for putting prophets God sent to death. If you know your Old Testament history, you know that much blood was shed in the streets of Jerusalem. We heard from Jeremiah. They threatened his life. They ended up throwing him into a cistern. They burned his books. That's not even the worst of of it, though. Tradition tells us that they stuffed Isaiah into a hollow log and then cut him in half. We know that Zechariah was stoned to death right in the temple courtyard. And it didn't get much better in the New Testament either. Stephen was stoned to death by the members of the Sanhedrin, no less. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had a long and bloody history. Its its streets were dripping with the blood of the prophets. Sacrifices, lambs, prophets, martyrs. Jerusalem had a long and bloody history. It's fitting then that God would have planned before the creation of the world to send his son, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood in the bloody city of Jerusalem for the forgiveness of the sins of the world. And Jesus knew all this. Wouldn't you think he'd be angry? That, that the very people that he had come to save would turn against him and instead put him to death? I mean, I would be. If I knew someone was planning my death, I w- I'd be angry with them. I mean... I get angry when, when people don't really want to hear the law and the gospel, when they don't want to hear God's word, when they slam the door in our faces. I get frustrated when, when people look to the church to help solve their temporary needs rather than, rather than solve their eternal need of forgiveness of sins and salvation. It's frustrating when, when people look to the church, even, even church members look to the church, and they, they want all sorts of activities, social activities, fun activities, and, and they put the activity of the Holy Spirit working on us through word and water on the, on the back burner. All of us get frustrated, get angry when, when people take our love and our compassion and maybe even our gifts and they throw them back in our face. When we're trying to do good for people and they hate us for it, we get angry. It's shocking then that Jesus didn't get angry, isn't it? In fact, just the opposite. Jesus isn't like us at all. He didn't get angry. He wept. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often have I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. People often wonder what is going on in God's mind, what his will is, what his plans are for the world. Well, this is it. It doesn't get any clearer than this. God's desire is to gather all people from all nations of all languages under the wings of Jesus, under Jesus' protective forgiveness, and gather us all in and take us to heaven. That's the will of God. And it's really striking that Jesus would say it here about his enemies, about about those religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the political leader, Herod, who had been scheming to have him killed. And he says, My desire is to bring you into the kingdom of God, through faith in me, through the forgiveness of sins that that I will bring and offer to you through the blood that I will shed at your own hands. Now, it would be tempting for us to sit here from a safe distance of 2,000 years and, and say, How sick and twisted can these people possibly be? All Jesus wanted to do is save them from their sins. He had proven it by by performing many miracles and healing and his, his patience with them. All he wanted to do was save them and they rejected him. But before we pick up stones of our own to hurl at Herod and the Pharisees, It's probably good for us to recognize that there's a little Pharisee and a little Herod living inside each one of us. We too are tempted to turn to the the power of politics, the authority of politics, and put our trust in in human elected leaders and policies and laws to provide for us and protect us and feed us and, and keep us safe. There's a little Pharisee in us too. A little Pharisee that thinks, yeah, maybe I don't need Jesus all that badly. Maybe I can please God with my good works and my good intentions and my merits and my love for God and one another. Maybe I don't really need Jesus that much either. Maybe he should just get out of my life. There's a little Pharisee, there's a little Herod living in each one of us. And when those forces get together in our hearts, it's it's ugly. Because it leads us away from Christ. It leads us to placing something else or someone else on the throne of our hearts. It's really a sin against the first commandment. It's idolatry. It needs to be repented of. Jesus needs to be number one in our hearts and the blood he shed. It's kind of interesting to consider that, that the history of God's dealing with Jerusalem is kind of a microcosm of how God has dealt with with the world and and really with each of us individually. You think of Jerusalem and it's filled with rebellion and, and bloodshed and idolatry and sinfulness. You think of the world at large and it's filled with rebellion and idolatry and sinfulness and rejection of God and His Word. And if we think of our own private histories, How much of it is filled with rebellion and idolatry and sinfulness and rejection of God and His Word and those who speak it to us. Thankfully, God's end of things is just as sure, just as certain, just as consistent. Just as surely as the world turned against God in rebellion and idolatry and sinfulness, so God has never stopped Showing grace and mercy and love and wanting to do nothing more than to gather the whole world under his wings and protect it from the the judgment that is to come. When you think of your own personal history, has God ever failed to show you grace and mercy and love? And no matter how far away you've run, no matter how badly you've rebelled, no matter how many different idols you have placed on the throne in your heart, Has God ever not opened his arms to welcome you home like a loving father? It really is the the history of our lives, isn't it? The, The history of Jerusalem. Jerusalem does have a future. Thank God it doesn't rest in the hands of politicians or religious leaders. It rests in the hands of God. In fact... Jerusalem did rest in the, the hands of political leaders and religious leaders for a while, and, and, and God showed them just how futile their efforts were when the Roman army swept into Jerusalem and destroyed it, raised it to the ground in 70 A.D. But Jerusalem does have a future. In Revelation, we see Jerusalem, that, that holy city coming down from heaven, dressed like a bride, ready to be wedded to Jesus, her groom. That's the holy city. That's the church. That's all believers of all time. As Paul said, that's where our true citizenship is. That's the people of God who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's the place where where the the blood that, that watered the streets in Jerusalem, the blood of the prophets and the martyrs, is gone. And those streets are paved with pure gold. That's where the Lamb reigns as our light and our life. That's where our true citizenship is. That's what we are waiting for. When Jesus will return to transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his wonderful body. That is where our true citizenship is. Not not here in this world, not, not in the United States, not in Wisconsin, not in McFarland, See, people have sometimes asked me, you know, it used to be kind of traditional to put an American flag uh, up by the altar. And people have asked me, why why don't you do that at Risen Savior? And really, it has fallen out of tradition in, in many different churches. I think it's important for us to remember that when we step in here, when we come in those doors, we're not in America anymore. We have stepped into the kingdom of God. And that's a wonderful thing. That we can leave politics at the door, the divisive politics that is just cutting through our nation, we can leave it at the door because we're not we're not Republicans or Democrats in here. We are all blood-bought sinners. We're all Christians. We can leave. Religion at the door too, and that may seem weird. But the religion, as, as, as the Pharisees understood it, religion as is natural to us to think that it's up to us to make God happy with us. No, it's not. It's up to Jesus. That's what he was so defiantly determined to do, to make God happy with us, to reconcile sinners like us to God. When we come in here, we're stepping out of our lives. We're stepping away from politics. We're stepping away from that natural religion that leads nowhere but to hell. We come here into the holy city. And we get such wonderful foretastes of that city here, don't we? In the the baptism that we've all been given. That's, That's our identity card. That's our passport into the heavenly city. In in the Word where where God comes to us and assures us of His love for us, opens His arms to us, shields us under His wings in the the sacrament that we receive, which is a foretaste of the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, that endless wedding reception that there will be in heaven where we will celebrate in the glory of Jesus that has been given to us. That's our real citizenship. That's where we belong and when we come here, we get a taste of that. Until then, don't make the mistake that Herod and the Pharisees made. Don't ever push Jesus away. Don't ever say you've got to get out of here. Don't ever push him out of your life and let something else sit on, your, on the throne of your heart. Because a day is coming when this whole world is going to be made desolate when God's judgment will rain down and only those who have taken shelter under the wings of Jesus' forgiveness will be able to say on that day, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.